Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And Tim is discussing the film The Royal Tenenbaums. And joining us is our guest, Hillary Young. So welcome, Hillary. Hey, Hillary. Hi. Oh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to talk. So you're an interesting guest because you worked in entertainment and now you've kind of pivoted. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about what you do now? Yes. So right now I'm a marketing consultant and I specialize in brand strategy and content strategy, which really are the two biggest components on the marketing side or consumer facing side that help grow the business through storytelling. And that that's really like the biggest connection between yeah. like my past life and my present life is the love of storytelling. Awesome. Great. And what was it that you used to do in the entertainment world? I was in television productions. I mean, I don't know. Where do we start? You want to kind of tell us about your path and sort of the different things you went through to get to where you are today? That'd be great. Yeah. So I was a theater kid. It, believe, I'm sure like everyone who comes on here is like, I was a theater kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it has to that love of like entertainment and the arts. Yeah somewhere but I was a theater kid and was looking into potentially going to school for drama acting and the arts but I had a few friends who were older than me who went to school for acting and I was just like you're not getting an education like to me yeah. it just I could not fathom paying for college and not getting yeah. a degree really in anything yeah. so I actually had the opportunity my I was in a special program my senior year of high school and I had an opportunity to essentially leave school second semester senior year and intern full-time wherever they would hire us and I really wanted the news I wanted journalism um, specifically and I applied for a variety of internships and ABC News hired me That's so incredible. yeah I was 17 <laughs> I turned 18 on the job um, but I was like, I lived, I grew up right outside Manhattan and I would wow. take the train in to the city every day, Monday through Friday. I had to be at work at nine. I didn't leave until five. I was wearing like slacks and practical <laughs> shoes <laughs> to work every day. And I loved it pretty quickly. They assigned me to work with Deborah Roberts, who is a correspondent. I think she's on yeah. Good Morning America sometimes now, but at the time she was just coming back from a maternity leave and needed an assistant and they made me her assistant. And I loved her. I loved working with her. She really was so kind to me and taught me so much. And one of her producers really took me under her wing and they let me like mock produce my own pieces. Wow. And yeah, I really loved it. I loved the journalism piece of it. And I ended up going to the University of Maryland for journalism. I joined their journalism program and very quickly hated it. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's amazing how that happens. I think also like I had so much practical experience at that yeah. point. It was you know, and, and there, this was, I'm aging myself, but I graduated high school in 2001. So there was a really heavy emphasis on print. If you were in the journalism program, and I did not want print. I wanted broadcast. Yeah. I decided that while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I would just come home every summer and find an internship in New York city and just like work my butt off and figure it out. So I came back and I, I was an intern at Curious Pictures, which um, I think, I don't know if they're still around, but they were a production company down on Lafayette in the East Village. And I was essentially a PA and I worked on music videos and commercials. I did like a little Caesars shoot and some Nickelodeon stuff, like Nickelodeon music videos. Cool. Yeah. And it was great. And I loved it. And I think that was really like, oh, maybe I don't want news. Maybe I want entertainment. Yeah. Um, and then the last summer in college, I was hired by The Daily Show with Jon Stewart to be an intern 
there, which is again, it's like your PA. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I didn't think anything of it. I was one of like 22 interns. Mm -hmm. I did not even think anyone noticed me. I also was not trying to be a writer, which like a lot of the other interns were like trying to submit their writing packet. And I just was kind of, I'm just going to lay low and like make jokes with (laughs) some of the producers. And, you know, I became really good friends with Ed Helms and Rob Riggle. And oddly enough, Stephen Colbert was not around that summer because he was shooting Strangers with Candy, the movie. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't really know Stephen, but I... I went back to school for my senior year and I was graduating. And I remember reading in the New York times that comedy central greenlit Steven getting his own show. And I was like, please don't let them staff this until I graduate. (laughs) And they didn't. And they called me like right when they were staffing it. And they told me they wanted me to be Steven's assistant. Wow. And that was my first job out of college. I started like before, like, so the original Daily Show studio had moved to a bigger space and the mm-hmm. Colbert Report came into the old Daily Show studio, but we were working out of the new Daily Show offices while they were getting that studio ready. And I had this really unique experience of watching an entire brand, an entire show, an yeah. entire production get built from the ground up. And it was really amazing. And then from there, you know, so I was with Steven for a few years, three years. And then I left, I freelanced, I worked on a lot of different freelance projects, um, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, I worked on two years in a row. I worked on the now next new awards for logo network i met lady gaga in a bathroom when she like only had a myspace page like no one knew who she was at the time (laughs) oh and then i got hired by college humor they needed a producer they were getting like all these requests for sponsored content and Mm -hmm. a friend of mine was directing like hired to direct and he was like i need a producer and he brought me in and they were like wow you're good at this (laughs) (laughs) they kept me on I ended up producing their MTV show and then as their um like the senior producer of all of the branded content um so like anytime a brand would partner with us I was kind of in charge of making sure both parties were happy well then I started producing for a, a comedy troupe called 12 Angry Mascots that really focused on sports comedy and we did a bunch of stuff for ESPN, the magazine, and for Adam.com, which was Comedy Central's, I guess, digital space at the time. Uh, I did. We I produced a bunch of live shows for them and then ended up at um, Beyond the Boardroom, which was a, a Bloomberg TV production. And finally, I was just like, I was in my late 20s and yeah. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's my life in the credits. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What was it like in those early days? Because now when you hear, think about the Colbert Report, it was huge. It was a huge thing. But like those early days, what was that like? Did people like have a lot of confidence in that show making it? Was it kind of just like, you know, we'll see what happens with this? At the beginning, it was very much, we'll see what happens. Okay. I don't think there had been any sort of like commitment from the network, but- okay. There was such a good energy with the like early crew that was there. A lot of them like have stayed with him and at um, the late show now with him. Um, You know, like he's just had a very loyal crew. He's, I cannot say enough good things about Stephen Colbert. He is truly one of the nicest, kindest, most genuine, generous human beings. Yeah. And I would say one of the weirdest things I witnessed was like watching him go from kind of uh, like anonymity to being like super famous. Yeah. And that was like a real, like when all of a sudden there was like private security in our building and he needed to like, unlist his address and he needed a he couldn't drive into the city himself anymore he needed a car service like I really watched how his life changed and he mm-hmm. lost a lot of like his anonymity like yeah. there's a real trade-off 
there. Yeah, I, don't think, sure. I mean, he loves what he does and he's so right. brilliant, but it was very interesting to yeah, watch. Yeah, watch that transformation. And yeah, we've talked to some other people that have worked with him and everyone says the same thing you did. It has a, such a positive behind the scenes set experience, which is so good to hear from like yeah. a late night show or like a any kind of talk show when you hear like, it's just a great place to work. Like it's totally. nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, there's so many negative stories out there yeah. about people behind the scenes, but it's, it is nice to hear that yeah. some people out there yeah. really are great to work for. I mean, part of me thinks it's because he didn't become successful until later in life. Yeah. So he had like a really solid, like he was just very grounded. His yeah. life is lovely. His kids are amazing. I mean, I remember them being babies. I think <laughs> they graduated from college now. Yeah. yeah and he, he was close with his mom. He comes from a big family. He just was really very grounded. Yeah. If you're going to be famous, I feel like that's the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> very cool. So you have so many different opportunities and very cool uh, things that you've done in your path of, of your career, Hillary. How do you set yourself up to be the person to actually get the internship? How do you set yourself up for success? So I think it's twofold. I'm very ambitious. And I think that has both served me well and also being a woman in the industry has been very challenging yeah. mm -hmm. at times, but I was ambitious. I was very driven. I knew what I wanted. I was the kind of person that I would set my sights to something and then like, okay, I'm going to, this is what I want to do. These are the internships I want to apply for. I'm going to have all my resumes out and mailed before Thanksgiving. <laughs> like I just was very regimented about how I went about it. And I always ended up having options. And I, I also think I have a very good work ethic. So mm -hmm. people continue to hire me. I mean, even now I have a very good work ethic and, you know, in the TV industry, you have to be willing to put in, 12, 14, 16 hour days and like still be fun to be around. <laughs> and I just, I loved it. I loved the energy. I, you know, I, I think, I think it would be harder for me to do now. I think it's mm -hmm. like so good to be a young person. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wanted like a life and kids and yeah. a husband and work-life balance. And mm -hmm. eventually that became not sustainable. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So Speaking about your college humor role a little bit, how did that work with sponsored content? Were there brands reaching out to you or reaching out to college humor that wanted to be involved? Or did you ever like go seek out brands to work with? Was it a mix of both? So it's funny when this, I started with college humor in 2008 yeah. and like digital video was yeah. on the cusp, right? Like, it was kind of a new thing and like no one really knew. Like, so when I told friends in the tv space that i was going to work they're like oh like i think they felt bad for me like it was a step down but i think a lot of brands who had these media buying agencies knew the numbers behind digital and yeah. knew that digital was going to be a huge thing and um college humor had a huge like ad sales department and they were great. They were wonderful. And so I don't think we ever really had to work too hard at getting brands to come our way. And um, all of the brands were really like well-suited for the college humor audience. So we worked with Axe Body Spray was a big one. Yeah. Um, Geico, Nesty, um, Nintendo, like when the Nintendo switch i think switch? came out um, yeah yeah like we did a whole brand partnership yeah. with them stride gum we did like oh, a God. whole arcade series with like that was presented by stride gum so it was brands who like really knew their audience and yeah. like we're coming to the right place to right. work on content yeah very cool so just generally how does a sponsorship in that you know content world work so is it just the bumper at the beginning of a show that's like sponsored by so-and-so or are you actually featuring the brands in the videos themselves so i think the first part of what you said is true like that could be an option and yeah. some that was how it worked for some brands but i worked on the bigger projects where the brand was like we are sponsoring 
three videos and you have to like mention us or mention the product. Like we would yeah. kind of have a list. We also would have to submit scripts to them, right? Okay. Like they had right. to approve of what their brand, what yeah. like brand management they had to <laughs> And, you know, that was kind of the line I had to walk because our writers who were immensely talented were really convinced that like what they were like, this is how it has to be. This has to be the script. And then the brand was like, you have to take out X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, all right, what if we did this? And (laughs) I find a way to like make sure that everyone was happy. That was my role. Okay. Um, and I loved it. It turns out I was really good. At yeah. <laughs> so you guys would actually get the partnership first and then build the content around that rather than try to stick them into something you already wrote. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Makes sometimes sense. I guess there would be an old script that never made it. Okay. And we'd be like, mm, like, maybe we could bring this back and like tweak it a little. But for the most part, we were writing original content for like around a concept for mm-hmm the brand we did this really funny I mean I think I laughed so hard on set this day I like almost peed my pants we did this really funny old school like instructional car safety video but it was like a lot of fails in it Um, it was supposed to look like a VHS tape and we did that for Geico oh we partnered with um, I think Activision for a video game that was coming out and we did like a whole video featuring like the main character of the video game but yeah it was just it was really fun and it was such a fun challenge I think for all of us to like have something to write for but like make the brand work (laughs) (laughs) a really fun way to kind of write ads um by just working them into a uh, college humor sketch so you now have your own company so do you want to kind of go into more depth about what you do there and what kind of what made you start it so it's funny. I was sent down to Philadelphia with College Humor. I was working okay. on a promo for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like a DVD. Yeah. Because, like, again, I'm, like, aging myself. This is when DVDs were still a thing. <laughs> um, and my husband, my now husband, was from is from Philly. He lives in Philly. And we had gone to college together. And I was just like, oh, I know one person in Philly. Yeah. Like, I'll call him while I'm on the shoot. And I start, we started dating and we are now married and have two kids, but he's an engineer. And I knew that like he couldn't move and I was starting to get really tired. Like the lifestyle is really challenging, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you're like a lifer at a late night talk show or, Mm -hmm. or a daytime talk show, like you're constantly having to look for work. You're constantly having to hustle and like sell yourself to people and you're constantly looking for work or working, you know, 16 hour days, or it's just, it was, I was very ready to take a step back. Right. Um, So I moved down here to Philly and, um, I did not know what, skills I had (laughs) I don't know how anything I did could translate to the real world so I actually just started volunteering at nonprofits and realized like oh like you all need marketing help and really storytelling like I can do that like I can write I was helping out with scripts and writing scripts you know, when I was in TV. So I was like, well, I think I can do this. And I was good at it. And Mm -hmm. so one of the nonprofits hired me part time. And I worked in their marketing department for about a year. And then a for profit company hired me. They were a medical device company. And I was their communications manager for almost three years. I wrote scripts for them I oversaw all of the like video production that we did I managed their social media accounts I wrote all the website copy I did all the email marketing um I managed the blog like yeah any content that they needed like I had my hands in and I really loved it and it was also like all of the organizational things that I was good at from you know, my time in television, like all of that, I was like, oh, like, this is what I'm good at. Like, this is my, <laughs> these are my skills. Like, this is great. And then when I got pregnant with my oldest child, mm-hmm. I uh, decided it was time to 
finally be in charge of my own schedule and my own life. And I was like, you know what? Like I do so much for this company. I could do this for a lot of companies. I'm going to try it. And I did. I just, I don't know. I was seven months pregnant and I started an LLC and I built a bad website and I <laughs> sent it around to people. And, um, that was eight and a half years ago. So wow. it's, you know, it's definitely evolved since then, but it's like one of the greatest joys of my life. I get to tell stories for a living and I get to help people feel more confident about what they're doing out in the world and help grow their businesses. And I just, I really love it. Very cool. Well, Going back to your time in entertainment for a minute, sure. what was the most challenging part of of your several roles you did there? <laughs> I think the most challenging part was being a woman. Yeah. And I'm also very small. Like I'm only five feet tall and I look young. I mean, I know this is a podcast, but I'm 40 years old. <laughs> and I look young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I looked young when I was in my 20s. (laughs) And I think there was really like a respect deficit as a result of it because I was extremely capable Mm. and really hardworking and really a team player. Just a set of expectations for me, how I should act or how, you know, one producer I worked with in particular I we were in a I was always the only woman in the room, especially like when I was producing. Yeah or like one of two women in a room full of men. And we were talking about like the logistics of like, we realized we had to reshoot a bunch of stuff. And I was like, he was saying, okay, like we'll just tack on time to the production schedule. And I was like, well, why don't we have an A team and a B team? Yeah. And we can do it in tandem. And then that way we won't like extend, you know, and the yeah. other people's like brilliant, like the other people's <laughs> right. And he did not like that I said that Uh and ended up calling me into his office and telling me that if we were in LA, I would know my place. And I would know that I'm not like, I'm just there to like assist and not talk. Wow. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And he's like, anything you want to say? And I said, no. And then I left his office and went and cried in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, So I want him to see me cry, but that happened a lot. I mean, that, kind of situation happened often. It was an uphill battle. And I actually remember after leaving Colbert, I worked on one movie because I was like taking freelance jobs wherever I could. And I worked on one film, All Good Things with Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. I was helping out with the wardrobe department. And I remember we were, it was this long overnight shoot and we were like, corralling all the background talent for this like big Times Square shoot. Mm-hmm. And um the woman in charge of the background talent was eight months pregnant. She was probably about 40 years old. And I remember at like two o'clock in the morning, she turned to me, I was maybe 25 or 26 at the time. She turned to me and she said, one piece of advice, don't ever let them see you sit down, especially when you're pregnant. And I said, okay, noted. Wow. Yeah, that away under this is not normal. Like, (laughs) you know, and and like, I felt like that was so normalized. Yeah, I think also a lot of the women that I saw at the top were not so nice. Yeah, so fulfilled in their personal lives, really competitive and like not really willing to take other women under their wing. Mm. Um, Like as if there was only room for like one woman, one woman at the top. Yeah, it just became very toxic. And when it keeps happening to you, you're like, it must be me. Like, clearly, I am the problem. But I I don't, I wasn't. (laughs) Just the call. Some time in therapy. It wasn't you. I mean, there's so many stories coming out. Yeah. That it's not you. Yeah. Really. Yeah. A huge problem in the industry. Right. And I think it's it's starting to change, but I'm sure there's still plenty of instances, just like you described, unfortunately, today, even with how much things have improved, you know, I mean, it was such a, probably still such a long way to go. So, unfortunately. I think I also learned a lot from watching so much bad behavior from people. And like, I have led teams now in the work that I do. And I love mentoring young people, young women, especially. And I think it was so valuable for me to learn what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, how not to behave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so, you know, I see it as like a positive, like right. even though it's horrible to go through, it really enhanced yeah. my, my life because I've been able to, you know, move forward in a way that doesn't bring any of that with yeah. me. Yeah. Well, you've really kind of you learned what kind of leader you want to be based on what you don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I think is process good. of elimination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Don't do this or this or this. All right, these are the things that are left. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So I do want to talk about because you transitioned out of entertainment into a field that's still just from reading in your bio, it sounds like there's still a lot of similarities in terms of skill. So do you want to go into that and like a little bit more detail about how you transferred those skills into what you're doing now? Yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of what I do now is branding. Yeah. And I think for a long time, like when I was first just like generally in marketing, it was really hard for me to draw the connection between point A and point B. Mm-hmm. And then as I gained more experience, specifically on the branding side, like how mm-hmm. to build a brand and how to build a personal brand and like what goes into it, you really kind of start pulling out like, what do I love the most? Yeah. What am I good at? And again, like the connection was always people, you know, like a lot of the times I'd be behind the camera and having to interview people. And I'm I'm really good at it. I make people yeah. feel comfortable. I'm good at getting stories out of people. I'm good at sifting through like editing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to sift through like what isn't working. Right. I'm, I'm a good writer. I'm also really super organized. I, the way I describe it is I love harnessing chaos. Like that's what <laughs> I really thrived. In- yeah in entertainment environment as a result. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked with a lot of startups um, in this, in, you know, in my new life, yeah. current life. Yeah. And a lot of them will like apologize, like, oh my God, like, we're so sorry. Like, it's so chaotic. And I'm like, this is like, this is great. <laughs> I love this. I'm at home here. And like, yeah. let me harness, like, let me get you organized and set up processes for you. And like, I just, I love being able to do that. And so like, if anyone else out there is like, I want to leave and I don't know what I'm good at, it sounds silly, but I would say write down what you like most about the job you do now. And I think little by little, like it will reveal itself to you. Cause like, if, even if you start looking at job descriptions, like it might be stuff that you've written down and that you've pulled out and you'll be like, Oh, like, yeah, this is. I could do this. This yeah. is <laughs> yeah. I do have applicable skills. <laughs> yeah. Very good. There's hope. Yes. <laughs> There's There's hope. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good for people to hear because yeah. I mean you're right. The the schedule of entertainment almost at any level is crazy. And you know, you might find yourself at a point where you're like, you know, I really love this, but this I want other things out of my life. So how can I take this and transfer it? Something that's more just like you said, a better work-life balance, give you give you time for other things in your life. So, yeah. Great. So do you have a moment, it can't be from your current role, it can be from a past role that's either a favorite moment or you're a moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living. I mean, honestly, I have that feeling every day. Yeah. And even looking back on like the time I spent, like 10 years that I spent working in entertainment, mm-hmm. I can't believe I got to do that. And I have like, yeah. when Colbert came out with his own ice cream flavor for Ben and Jerry's. Willie Nelson also got his own flavor and we had Willie Nelson on the show and we became really good friends with his daughter. And she like invited a group of us like to come to his concert at Radio Music Hall. And she was like, yeah, just like knock on the trailer, like outside. (laughs) And like we hung out with Willie Nelson on his trailer and he like told me about his courses that he saved from the glue factory. Oh like, that been awesome. Like I had a hang. Yeah. Really- that's crazy. Yeah. And then got to watch him play from like backstage at Radio City. And I was just like, how is this my life? Like, this is great. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have had all those experiences. And I love it. And I love that that's like a chapter in my yeah. life. But I think the biggest thing that I always struggled with was like there's such an urgency in the world of entertainment and I'm like we're, mm. this isn't brain surgery like we're yeah. not saving lives not really helping people and we're making them laugh which I guess helps them a little bit but like I think now I can very clearly connect the dots between yeah. the work and having an impact on someone's life mm-hmm. in a yeah. very meaningful way and 
that is why I wake up every day and I'm like, I just love that I get to do this. Like, <laughs> I just am happy getting to do this for a living. I feel very lucky and people trust me with their stories and I'm very grateful. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hillary, we got one more question for you. Before we move on and talk about the movie. Okay. That question is, what advice do you have for people who want to either get into the entertainment world and sort of work their way up on the production side or just in the entertainment world in general? I think anyone wanting to work in production, I guess I feel like it's harder now. You know, I feel like the the entertainment industry I stepped into over 20 years ago has changed a lot. I feel like there's a lot of nepotism babies <laughs> in the mix now. So it might be harder to find internships. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think the the thing that helped me the most is I had such a solid resume before even applying to the Daily yep. Show that it was a no-brainer. Like, they were going to hire me. I had They mm-hmm. actually told me at my interview, they're like, you almost have too much experience. Like, we feel like you're going to be bored. And I'm like, no, no. I want I want to be here. Please hire me. I would love to be here. But work at your like local news station or work, you know, like I feel like there's no job too small. You don't have to automatically step onto like a blockbuster movie set and don't try too hard. Just know that you don't know anything and you're there to absorb everything. So like, even if the work seems like grunt work and like, why am I doing this? It's because like you have the opportunity to be where everything is happening and learn so much mm-hmm. and like ask people questions and, you know, like just really be curious about it. And I, and that's the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that then once you're building a career in the entertainment industry it's all relationship based yeah like if people like you and you're personable and you're easy to work with and you have a good attitude they will not only hire you but they will recommend you for other jobs and it'll make it exponentially easier for you out in the world so you know just be a good person and work hard let's get to our featured film Today, we're discussing the 2001 film, The Royal Tenenbaums. It was written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. It was directed by Wes Anderson. It starred Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Danny Glover. It was nominated for an Oscar for Best Writing of a Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen. Before we get into it, Susan Q gives a quick breakdown. What is this movie about? Yes. Well, this movie is presented as like... Like they're reading a book to you. Yep. Um, and it's actually narrated by Alec Baldwin, which I did not know when I was watching it until I was writing uh, our notes for the episode. And I was like, that was Alec Baldwin. Sure was. Um, but it's about Royal and Ethelene Tenenbaum. Um, they're a really wealthy couple in New York City. They have three children. They have Chaz, Richie, and Margot. Royal is kind of a sleazy lawyer. Um, and he gets disbarred and he... He separates from his wife, but especially his whole family, and ends up living in a hotel for 22 years. In that time span, Ethelene raises her three kids to be geniuses. Uh, Margot's a playwright, Richie's a tennis prodigy. Chaz is just like a finance guru, um, and he uh, doesn't he invent a kind of mouse, the Dalmatian mouse? Um, yes. So he has all these little businesses he does. His bedroom looks like an office. So we just watch them grow up a little bit. And then we meet them as adults. And as adults, they're all kind of in a rut. And they seem very stuck. Uh, Chaz's wife passed away. Um, so now he's kind of anxiety-ridden father. He's raising his two sons, Ari and Uzi. He ends up moving back in with his mom. Margot is married to Bill Murray's character, whose name is Raleigh. Raleigh. Yeah. Um, he's a much older professor. Uh, she's not happy. She spends like six hours a day in her bathroom chain smoking. She decides when she hears Chaz move back in with her mom that she's going to move back in. And we have Richie, who has been, he was a tennis star. He had a meltdown at a match and then he went and lived on a boat for, I think, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, on that boat, he realized he is in love with Margot. His She is adopted, so it's not as weird as it sounds, um, but he's in love with Margot. So he comes back to live with his mom. Um, and at the same time, Royal comes back to live with in the family home. Because with- he hears that. He hears, that's right. He hears that Ethelene is now engaged to Danny Glover's character. 
So he's like, I got to get back there. I got to try to get my family back. So he claims he is dying from stomach cancer and they let him move back into the house. So that's really the setup of the whole movie. And we see all these characters interact in classic Wes Anderson, strange character style. And I think we'll get more into the plot as we talk, but that's really the setup of the movie. You forgot about the neighbor, the quirky neighbor. Oh, duh. Eli. Yeah. Eli, who (laughs) wrote a book. Yeah. Two books, but like is, I don't know, in a stunted state of yes adolescent like a prolonged adolescence yes definitely um and he is in a relationship with a secret relationship with margo even though it's not a very good secret um but yeah eli who one grew up friends with richie wants to be a tenant bomb um so another sort of person in the mix absolutely so hillary you chose this movie for us to watch why did you choose the royal tenant bombs so I just love this movie so much. I love everything about it. It was also my first foray into the world of Wes Anderson. Mm. I think he had had some acclaim with Bottle Rocket, but I had actually seen it before Royal Tenenbaums. And also just, I love film. I was a student of film. Like once I abandoned my journalism major, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a lot of film classes and just be like a media studies major. (laughs) And I just, I love film. And I just think the world of Wes Anderson is so whimsical Mm -hmm. and so magical and so layered and so wonderful. And the way he tells stories, both visually and actually like, you know, yeah. On, you know, with the script. I don't know. There aren't that many other filmmakers right now that can do what he does. And I just, that like, kicked off a serious love affair for me i loved how the there's always this juxtaposition like it's so polished the film looks so polished and beautiful and all the cinematography is really beautiful and everything looks like a picture book but these are like the most dysfunctional characters you could ever engage with but there's still something so like wonderful and loving and like you're so drawn into the world and I just let and the acting is phenomenal the Mm -hmm. wardrobe I went as Margot Tenenbaum one year for (laughs) Halloween and I made my own wooden finger (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I'm just like a real Wes Anderson nerd I love it Yeah, I love the detail that he pours into his characters. I mean, all the all of his films are so detailed, right? I mean, that's what he's known for. Um, but I also love how distinct they are, not only from each other in this film, but also from his other films. Like, they each have their own struggle mm-hmm. that they're going through, right? And they all, it's great because they. this feels like a real family. This feels like, even though they're all so eccentric and they're so, you know, previously wealthy, but now they're all sort of lost that and they're all kind of, stuck in their lives as you mentioned but it feels like they really do have like these relationships and they all end up helping each other in one way or another you know and in the case of of royal you know it's him being selfish the whole time and lying to them and cheating people constantly Um, but you still feel for this character because he really does want you know the base of just being a part of a family Mm -hmm. again and that's totally relatable Wes Anderson movies are they're magical and they are whimsical but they're also sad and, you know, mixing that element into it. And the Richie story is so sad. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also uplifting towards the end, you know, as he reunites mm-hmm. with Margot, he reunites with this Falcon. Uh, yes. And, you know, you can actually see him sort of like, you can see them each trying to put their lives back on track in their own separate ways, which is a really fascinating thing to watch. And it's instigated by the most despicable character in the movie, <laughs> yeah. their father. So it's kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. The topics that he explores are so heavy, right? And like the mental health stuff and like even like being a child genius and being Mm -hmm. watched and like the pressure of that, right? Like all of this stuff is so heavy. Yeah. But he lightens it up a little. Like even the stuff with Richie, as sad as it is, it's not like, I don't know, like there are some other movies that I know are like like Oscar winners Mm -hmm. that are like... I'm like, oh, I'm like, it's good, too sad. Like, I can't. Right, I don't want to. Right. Like, you'll still, I'll still sit down to watch this time mm-hmm. after time after yeah, time. Totally. It's not like emotionally draining me. Right. Process. Yeah. I really love it so much, and it's funny. So I, I just saw Asteroid City, mm-hmm. 
which I also really loved. I just really loved it. And no it's, spoilers, we haven't seen it. Really tell you, but the one thing you know, and it's funny too because I'm older now, right? Like I, I, and as is Wes Anderson, and like right. everyone in the movie. But I turned forty this year, and I saw something in his in Asteroid City that I. I didn't see in the last, but like now looking back on all the other movies, I'm like, oh my God, like this is present in everything. It's all like, I, the movies are an existential crisis. Everyone's yeah. having some sort of existential crisis and it's it doesn't take place over the course of like 10 years or a lifetime. Like it is one little slice mm-hmm. of life where people are like dealing with the philosophical struggle of existence yeah. and working through it in real time. And it, it is, it's amazing. Like what I see in Tenenbaums of like, you know, Wes Anderson was younger when he wrote that is like someone trying to make sense of family dynamics and generational trauma. Right. And now I look at asteroid city and I'm like, this is a midlife, like what, like midlife movie. And like, maybe I'm putting too much of my own stuff. (laughs) No, I feel like I feel like Wes Anderson isn't that much older than me. No, I don't think so. It's really amazing how he is able to capture these moments and like have such an impact on the viewer at the same time. It's really profound. Yeah, and I agree with you that he tackles these really serious topics, especially in the case of what happens to Richie, but it's never unbearable. Like it's never like I have to shut this off and process it and come back later. Like you can stay watching. So he does it in a way that the viewer can still stay on the ride and like, you know, keep going with the story. So that's really impressive. Yeah, that's a good point. I do fear for every animal though in a Wes Anderson. Oh my God. Yeah. Because every (laughs) animal's in danger. Yeah. If you go back and watch his, his whole, yeah whole series yeah not not many of them no (laughs) Uh, yeah that's another point um so a little bit of a spoiler a dog does die in this movie but unlike most times when a movie has a dog that dies i wasn't like i kept watching it (laughs) because normally that's a pretty big deal breaker for me she will not watch a lot of films because of dog dying but there is like this emotional distance yeah with a lot of the stuff that's happening yes, totally. and i i think it's also because like the characters are so like like campy yeah like, you know also like that it's their characters mm-hmm. and it it's not super hyper realistic so right. you have this emotional distance from yeah. what is playing out on screen which also makes it that much more profound because like you'll mm-hmm. sit through it and think about it yeah afterwards. right <laughs> you know? and like think about it for years and years mm-hmm. I love the scene where Royal and Henry finally have a real talk, you know, at the at the day of the wedding, and they're mm. going to go get the sons out of the backyard. Yes, and, and they finally have a, a meeting where you know Gene Hackman's kind of, like, oh man, I'm you know I, I know I'm kind of an asshole, and he goes, "You're not an asshole, you're just a real son of a bitch." Sometimes. Yeah, and he takes that as a compliment. Yeah, and then it's like you know moments like that mm-hmm. they're just like just really Wes Anderson does so well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a similar moment with Chaz and um, Eli. Yeah. After Eli crashes into the house, they're both like Chaz is so mad at him and chases him in the house. And then they like crash into the backyard of that um, consulate or something and have the same realization. Like we both just need a lot of help. Like we yes. both need to figure out how to move on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Hillary, do you have a favorite scene in the film? I can't think of a scene, but there's like this one line, like towards the end when Raleigh realizes, like, you know, Margo's leaving and. Uh-huh. He's like, you know, she smokes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's after he gets all this information about her past, and that's what he takes away from it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just so good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I just, the characters are so, and it's also nuanced and subtle mm-hmm. that, like, the more you watch it, the funnier it gets, or you yeah, pick right. up on little things here and there. And yeah, I remember the first time I watched it I laughed at something that like no one else in the room laughed at and I was like oh. but I still think it's funny it's that scene when they're in the closet oh, the board games yeah yeah Gene Hackman like yelled at I, I think it was um Ben Stiller's character it was so dark like I laughed yeah. it was just like a laugh and everyone was like you're such a weirdo like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. to me it was just kind of it was funny like it was just an outburst and right Sometimes watching grown-ups like throw a temper tantrum is funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which happens a lot in this film. Yeah. Susan, do you have a favorite scene? Um, 
I feel the same. It's hard to pick one. Um, there's a lot of little moments I like. I do really love when he first hangs out with um, Ari and Uzi. Yes, yes. And he's like, you know, boys just have, you just got to go get in trouble. Kids have to get in trouble, you know, not like play, but like, you know, throw a brick through somebody's window or something. And he takes them to the pool and just does all this stuff with them. And then they call back to that at the end where he's riding with the two of them on a garbage truck. And then you see Chad's is also there, like kind of reclaiming some of his joy, which I think is really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the parallel between those two. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great montage there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like it towards the end of the film. um, After when the fire truck is at the, is at the apartment and they're all outside and there's that great tracking shot, which is a, you know, one long consistent shot of, each of the little characters are like, you know, in different stations in the scene, but they're all sort of like so finely turning that corner of like getting their life back on track. And they've all gone through that, that you know, crisis moment that you mentioned, Hillary, and they're all like, OK, mm-hmm. now I can start to think about, you know, what's next. And they, you know, even, you know, uh, Riley with a student that he's been studying, yeah. you know, and he he, put, he puts the 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 fire uh helmet on and they they even they have a little moment in there yeah. and it's like each each pairing it's a, it's a little it's just a beautiful shot you know it's the scene where uh, uh royal gives the dog to chaz mm-hmm. and you know some little things happen in like 30 seconds that just propel the story forward and it's so impressive yeah. to see that it's really all about connection and yeah. like you can find connection in different ways like raleigh with his student yeah the dog right like it doesn't have to be this romantic partnership to have that connection that like connection can be had in a lot of different ways and i i feel like you don't always see that in movies yeah i agree it's not the kind of connection that they focus on yeah (laughs) definitely it's also like ends up being like a very non-traditional family because even raleigh's at this wedding and like why is he there (laughs) but he's there and everyone's like and eli too right yeah and eli well at least he like grew up with them um raleigh's student that he's studying is at the wedding um and they're all talking to each other and connecting and like you know you can see there's a love there among them all i think that was really cool too and speaking of connections like just the most a very non-traditional family at the end and just everyone be, oh, everyone being welcomed back in sort of so yeah cool. i also love time, like with a blended family yeah concept totally. like that was yeah. really ahead of its time yeah absolutely it's like a, a wes anderson modern family right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I also love like pagoda stabbing. Yeah, for the second time, it's like awesome. (laughs) That's the last time you'll ever stab me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, it's so good. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling lesser known work. So actors are known for particular projects, but in this game, we're going to see how well you know the actors from our film today, The Royal Tannenbaums. Hillary, you're going to be playing against Susan. So here are rules. I'm going to start naming movies that an actor has appeared in. As soon as you know the actor, shout out their name. If you're wrong, the other player will get a chance to steal. I have five actors for you to identify, and the first person named three correctly will win our prize. So, Susan, what's our prize? Some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a shirt or a mug or something like that, tote bag. <laughs> All right. So, Hillary, are you ready to- <laughs> Hillary, are you ready to play? Okay, I'm ready. And Susan, Go down, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> I love the competition yes. already. Yes. <laughs> first actors, first movie, number one, Absolute Power. Okay, I know that movie. It's a great film. Look it up after this. Number Alex two, Baldwin? not correct, That's but good guess. Yes. Susan, you have a guess? Mm-mm. All right, number two, The French Connection. Gene Hackman? Yes, oh. very good, Hillary. The French Connection is a great film. If yes. you like car chase movies, check that one out. Uh, Gene Ackman has also been in Superman, Get Shorty, and The Birdcage. So well done, Hillary. You're on the board. Excellent. Thank you. The Birdcage is also a fabulous movie. Phenomenal movie, yes. Phenomenal. I love that movie. Oh, great. All right, your next actor. Okay. Number one, Hook. Number two. This is someone who is in Royal Tenenbaums. That is correct. Okay. Number two. Can't be Robin Williams. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> it's not Robin Williams. <laughs> okay. Okay. Number two. Sliding Doors. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Oh. Susan, barely, <laughs> barely got it. Barely. Good job. All right. Yes. 
Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has also been in Seven, Iron Man, and Shakespeare in Love. I always forget she's in Hook because she's so young. She's very young. Yeah. She's in it for like yeah. two Yeah. Ooh, like she's young, like Wendy's granddaughter or something. Yeah, right. right. Well, she plays young Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. So in that. Ooh, deep cut. That was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very good. All right. So the score is one, one. 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 Okay. All right. Next film. Number one. Happy Gilmore. Ben Stiller. Yes. Hillary, well ben done. Ben Stiller's in Happy Guild. Oh, duh. Yeah, he There's plays someone yeah. Yeah. the nurse for his grandma. That's yeah. correct. Very good, <laughs> like Hillary. Nurse. Yeah. I totally forgot. Yes, correct. I'm like, I'm like going through my catalog. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I could see your eyes going. of like, and then the light bulb going off. It was awesome. Uh, Who's also in Dodgeball, Night at the Museum, Tropic Thunder, and Zoolander. Yeah. A lot of, lot of classic Ben Stiller films. All right. Two to one. Hillary's in the lead. Next one. Your first movie is Angels in the Outfield. I've not seen that movie in a long time. Oh, Jenny Glover. Yes. Oh, nice. Hillary is on <laughs> oh my fire God. and has won the game. Oh, my God. You won already? Yeah. Oh, nice job. Three do, points. Three do you one. do a bonus round? I'm like, this is so fun. Yeah, let's do the rest. How, do you have any more? We have one more. Okay, let's do it. Danny Glover was also in Jumanji, The Next Level, Witness, which is a great movie, yeah. The Color Purple, of course, and Lethal Weapon. Yes. So, all right. Your last one, just for fun. Hillary's already won. But your first movie okay. is Scream 2. Scream 2. Was Angelica Houston wasn't in? No, nope. <laughs> yeah, I knew she wasn't. I'm just trying to name anybody. Was it Luke Wilson? Yes, he's in Scream Two for like a minute. Oh my god! It. I almost said one of the Wilson brothers just as a guess, but I'm like, I don't think they were in that movie. Yeah, I don't know like, why I then went the to Angelica Houston. I, yeah, they were the only ones I thought could have been in it, and I knew it yeah. wasn't. Like, this was a get. I like have yeah. no recollection. Well, you of did great. Well, excellent job. You know your Wes Anderson adjacent movies. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Luke Wilson was also in Rushmore, Legally Blonde, oh. Idiocracy, and Old School. Well, before we let you go, Hillary, is there anything that you would like to plug? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to plug my website, which is Hillary Young Creative, Hillary with one L, um, HillaryYoungCreative.com. And for anyone who needs help with branding, marketing, um, personal branding, come check it out because I offer a lot of uh, good stuff on there. And then also my Instagram is at Hillary Young Creative, also one L. Um, and I, give away a lot of like great tips. So if you're looking to build a business or building a side hustle or trying to figure out (laughs) how to brand yourself, (laughs) um, my Instagram is definitely the place to go for that. So perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, this was really fun. This was really fun. Thank (laughs) you so much for having me. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSongs.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. That's my life in the credits. Yeah. (laughs) 